climate change. We've all heard about climate change, have we? It's high on the agenda. On the social agenda today. Concerns for our planet and for the natural environment are almost on every news bulletin or report on radio, on TV, or newspapers. We are bombarded with it. And anyone in their right mind will be daft, I put it, to deny that our natural resources have declined. That our quality of life have been affected. That our seasons have become warped of late. And anyone without in their mind to deny that these things have happened or are happening. Because even the Bible states that in Matthew 24 that unusual famines and earthquakes and natural disasters in the last days will occur. And you wonder how that would happen. Must be something with the environment that has affected. Romans 8 also says that nature groans and will groan in pain and in suffering to what it was um, given to, subjected to. Even Revelation 15, God also recognizes and he says, God says that part of his judgment is against what? The destroyers of the earth. Because it was God who mandated us as humans to take care of the non-human elements of the earth. In Genesis 2 it says that we need to take care of what God has given us. Subdue it. Rule it. Take care of it. And make sure that it's looked after. So climate change, we are bombarded with it. But we cannot, we cannot negate the fact that there are unusual things happening in our environment and negative things happening in our environment. However, the question remains on the lips of those who are interested are, can the situation be repaired? Can we stop the earthquakes, tsunamis, the extinction of animals? How can it be fixed, maybe people ask. And why should it be fixed? Climate scientist says, yes, it can. Climate scientist says, yes, we can repair the earth. We can restore the environment. We can renew and reverse the process to what it once was. Christian climate scientist says, yes, we can. And the work of restoration lies in our hands. Humanity has the power to fix and reverse the process of a declining earth to the Eden it once was. If God has mandated us to take care, they say, to rule and subdue the earth, then the restoration lies in our hands. There are some who say that climate change is invented by the Illuminati or the Roman Catholic Church in order to introduce Sunday laws. And so it's not really happening. It's an invention. 
However, however those things are saying, we need to look at it and say, look, hey, things are happening. Things are changing. Things are uh, um, beginning to, uh, doesn't look good. And we have too much tsunamis. And, and, and people are suffering through earthquakes. And, and there is damage to our planet. But what is happening? And what is, what does the Bible say about those whole concepts? It's a very relevant subject today, not only in, in society, but it should be a relevant subject in, even in churches today. However, my study into Christian environmental theology has led me to the following conclusions. That, that in terms of, 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 of everything happening, there is, there, is, there is an effect and there's a reason why these things are occurring. And what, is the, what does the Bible say? What is the Christian voice in this point? I take you to Genesis 3. Because I think Genesis 3 has a, has a concept. Genesis 3 has, has an evaluation. Genesis 3 has something to say for us. Genesis 3 reminds me. If I read Genesis 3 and what I've read, read you today... Genesis 3 reminds me that sin causes breakdown in relationships, affecting our love for God, other human beings, and everything around us. Genesis 3, Genesis 3 is the, is the outcome of what happens when, when, when Adam and Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God comes to them and he says, Oh my goodness, what have you done? And as a result, he says, things are going to happen. Relationship will break down. Relationship with each other will break down. Relationship with our communities will break down. But the worst thing that our relationships with the environment will break down because you see sin causes relationships relationship breakdowns sin broke our relationship with god we know sin affect our relationship with each other and sin also affect our relationship with everything around us genesis 3 verse 16 implies this when he said to to eve in pain you will bring forth children your desire will be for your husband. He shall rule over you. Automatically those three things tell me there's something that goes wrong in the relationships. In other words, because of sin, the nature of our relationship with another has been badly affected to God, to what God wanted us to be. Maybe, maybe the fact that God says to Eve, in pain you will bring forth children. Maybe God is saying, look, not only the pain in the childbirth, but in fact that many people are actually experiencing pain in terms of raising their children. The pain that children causes their parents and the pain that parents cause their children in abuse and all those things. And maybe God implies that, that somehow sin will affect those and just break down this relationship. Maybe Genesis 16 in terms of when he says, Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Really 
implies that this effect in terms of relationship between husband and wife will be affected and, and abuse will step in. And different breakdown in things will happen because of sin. Relationship between husband and wife. Relationship with others can be damaging and the evil reality of sin has affected it. But Genesis 3 also reminds me that when Adam and Eve sinned, God announced that due to this damaging, awful reality of sin and evil being introduced, creation will see a downward spiral, losing its perfection, some of its beauty, and creating damaging effects on its normal functions. In fact, God says in verse 17, he says, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground now for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. In other words, God says, because of the result that sin has broken down this relationship, as a result, even the things you touch, even the things you do to the, to the environment, it will just look bad. It will just go down and down and down and down. Genesis 3 also implies that while sin reigns and rules every heart of every human being on this planet, the damaging, spiraling effect of relationship towards each other, towards God, towards other creatures, are irreversible are unavoidable and sometimes unstoppable. In other words, everywhere, somewhere in our lives, a relationship will break down with someone else. Sometimes unavoidable. Sometimes by accident. Sometimes unintentional. Sometimes just because our feelings are being hurt. Sensitivities. But we can hold up our hands today and say that not all my relationship I have with friends, my family, or with colleagues, or neighbors, or church members are perfect. And God has said that because sin entered into this world, that relationships between me and you, between you and each other, between you and the environment will break down and it will be unavoidable. It'll be unstoppable. And here's the worst thing. It will be irreversible. And so it is with our world. We pollute unavoidably. We pollute indirectly. We pollute unintentionally. We don't care nonchalantly, blatantly somewhere, or just because of our worldview, we think we can just pollute. And sin continues to have an effect, whether it is war, whether it is terrorism, or even climate change, the effect is there. Because the reality of Genesis 3 is that once sin was rolled out onto this planet, it hemorrhaged, creating pools of spilled blood and pollution and damage everywhere, and humanity's sin is still causing it. And it is irreversible. That's the reality. Genesis but Genesis 3 also implies that there is hope. 
that God has a plan. And Genesis 3 verse, verse 15 is that words of hope where he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And then it says that promise that he will crush your head, but you will only bruise his heel. And in that say, God is actually saying, look, there will come a savior. He will first come in flesh and die for us, but he will come a second time and he will restore that which we have damaged. In other words, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 to 55 says, at the last trump, what does it say? At the last trump, this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. This imperfection will put on perfection. And it will be restored even to what was better when it was created. Revelation 21 says, when the new Jerusalem steps and God makes his home with us, it says, behold, I will make all things new. No pain. No suffering, no earthquakes, no tsunami. When all ecosystems will grow together and in harmony. In other words, what am I saying? That actually what is happening around us, yes, it is the effect of humanity that we're experiencing and the, and the, and the breaking down of, of, of Earth's ecosystem, the breaking down of relationships, the breaking down of, 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 of things, of terrorism and, and all these things. Yes, it has. Humanity has an effect in it. But where did it start? It is the start of sin that has been rolled out onto this earth and it's spiraling down and down and down. But the solution, the solution lies in the fact that God is the ultimate one that will restore this world to its beauty, what it has been before. Now here's the conundrum. And now my people may be asked a question in terms of now, if that is true, does that mean that I must just sit back and watch how things spiral down? If that is true, do I just stop and just put my head in the sand and not care for anything else because God has this plan of restoration? Does that mean I must just, churches should not care or we should not care about this? Here's the conundrum. Floyd Hayes, Adventist writer, says, writes this, until that day, our best efforts cannot fully undo the harm we've done, nor can they erase the blight of sin on the planet. We look forward with longing to the day when we will see biodiversity at its richest and ecosystems functioning in their most harmonious state. He says, until that day, we cannot do anything to repair. We cannot do anything to restore. We cannot do anything to reverse. We look forward with, a long, with longing to the day when we will see all these things restored as God has promised. But, he says, however, Romans 8 has the key. And it lies in the word groan. If you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says this. It says, creation groans in pain and in suffering. Jesus said that. God said this. Creation 
will grow in pain and in suffering to what it was subjected to. The second part of this groan in verse 23 says that just as creation groans, we as humans groan in pain and in suffering. We also feel the blight of sin in our lives. That's why, that's why Alex is there. We feel the pain when, when our loved ones have, have been affected with terminal Terminal diseases. So we, we feel the pain when we lose somebody that we love. Because Romans 8 says we groan in that suffering as well. But Romans 8 says, connects it and it says, we not only groan by ourselves, but together we groan with the rest of creation, feeling their blight, feeling their sin, feeling the, the, the burden that we both as created beings, we feel it. But there's a special third part that indicates us. Verse 26. And the same word is being used here. It says, but then verse 26 says, The Spirit groans with all of us. Indicating that God shares our pain. God shares our burdens. God shares our sufferings. And God shares the suffering of of non-human creation as well. And those three elements, the word groan implies more than just pain, but the word groan implies pain with hope, with faith, and looking forward to a better future. Paul can say in verse 23, it says, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan with ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. For we are saved in hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly await for it with perseverance. Likewise. The spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. And it basically says in that sense. Look. The Spirit feels our pain and we sometimes do not know what to utter and the Spirit takes it to God and says, Lord, look, that is actually what Alex is feeling today. That is actually what, what Wilson is feeling today. But it also talks for the little rabbit that, that faces extinction and the Spirit also says, but look, Lord, these, the, the earth is suffering today and, it, and, and, it, and, and they groan, we groan together as we look forward to the day when Jesus comes. So even though we know that in the future when Jesus comes, He will restore this beautiful earth because that is what we hope for. That is why we call seven Adventists. That in the future God will restore this beautiful earth to, 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 to even the most beautiful place. And even what it was before. But He says while we, while we wait, let's groan together. With one another. Let's groan together. With our environment. Let's groan together in relationship. In hope and in faith. How do we groan? Matthew 25 has the other answer. Because Matthew 25 comes. And God, God, God uses this, this analogy. Of a, of, of a manager. That brings gifts. 
or, or talents to each of his servants. In other words, the story is a stewardship responsibility where God brings it and he says, look, you've got five portions that I want you to look after. You've got two portions that I want you to look after. You've got one portion that I want you to look after. And five, the guy with five portions, he says, listen, I know the master's coming back. I know he doesn't have much, but I'm going to take this and I'm going to look after it. I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to take care of it. And whatever I do, I'm going to bring it back to you. The second guy says the same thing. But the first guy, the last guy with one talent, he says to himself, listen, man, this guy has so much. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to take my time. I'm going to use my irresponsibility. I'm not going to take care of my one talent. I'm going to go and bury it. And so when God, the master, comes and he says, what have you done? He says, listen, I haven't done anything because I know you're a hard man and all that. And God says, you wicked, wicked servant. And he takes that one talent and he gives it to the one plus five. And he says, how irresponsible for somebody who lives in the community to say, listen, I bury my head in the sand and I don't care about everything else. I just care about myself. And God says, no, we groan together. We take responsibility for one another. We take responsibility for the environment, especially as we look forward to the day when Jesus comes and he's going to restore everything to this beautiful picture, what we can. We cannot do it now, but we can love our home. We can love our community and we can love our relationships. These two passages imply that the responsibility of humanity does not lie in restoring, reversing, or even renew our planet. But the responsibility lies in empathy towards each other, groaning and suffering together. Our responsibility lies that we can help to minimize the acceleration of further damage. We can minimize the acceleration of further damage damage we also our responsibility also lie as we live as co-creatures who share the same resources and therefore consider others in the spaces we share what is basically what what i mean is that that we 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 groan together we struggle together but we realize actually look we're loving in the we're sharing one particular, we're sharing one space. And so sometimes we can be very cattish, one of the better words to one another, in terms of saying, this is my space. And I want to expand my space a little bit more. So don't come and enter my space. I don't like you. So stay away from my space. God is actually saying, no, we are all in this together. We share the same space. But most of all, hey, Jesus is coming for every one of us. And we are all sinners in it together. Let me finish with the implication is this. Because I want to put the, because while I was doing this whole study with me, I realized there's a spiritual connection in this and it's an implication on our spiritual walk with Christ 
Because I asked the same question. And I noticed on Facebook the other day that one of our, one of our big evangelists are producing a book that says, Is it possible to live without sin? Is it possible to live without sin? Is it possible to be even perfect now? And I thought about this and I realized this, that this environmental theology actually has so much lessons for us in this context. And here it is. Because if the reality of the curse affected everything around me, if the reality of the curse brought a spiraling down and caused more damage, and sin has affected relationship, affected soul, affected every part of humanity, then it must have affected my spirituality as well. Because sin affects everything. That is why Ezekiel can say the heart is deceitful above all things. And Paul can say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has affected my inmost being, even my relationship with God. And the second implication that if nature cannot be restored, and that the total restoration lies in the future with God, then the implication on me as a person in my spiritual life does not lie with me, but it lies totally with God. Because 1 Corinthians 15 does not only talk about the, immor the imperfection that will be perfected in terms of the creation environment, but it even talks about the imperfections that will be perfected in me. And the Bible says at the last trump, at the last trump, then this immortality, this imperfections, this will be perfected when Jesus comes. Does that mean I stick my head in the sand and say, listen, I give up because I'm not able to be a better person? Do I stick my head in my sand and say, I give up because God is not able to do anything for me? No. Here's the lesson from environmental theology again. If there is nothing I can do to save or restore my nature or spiritual life to perfection, I'm unable to because my life is tainted with sin. Then I'm so much more dependent on God. I should not expect To even try to live a perfect life. But also. That I need to be a little bit lighter. On someone else too. And say listen. If you're struggling. If I'm struggling. We're all struggling together. So let's lighten up. And support one another. A little bit more. Because if I can't do it. And I wait in faith in hope 
and anticipation for future restoration of my spiritual life. What do I do now? Paul says in Galatians, here's the answer. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Yet not I live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live in the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the life I love. And that's the life I pray for somebody else. I live in harmony with Christ as he sustains me. I live in harmony as I groan together with another sinner just like me. I live in harmony as we support and care for one another. I live in harmony with my whole life dependent on God's sustaining grace, keeping me sane and keeping me focused on him. And I lighten up a bit on someone else who goes through the same struggles that our lives are filled with prayer for ourselves. Not only prayer for ourselves, but prayer for someone else. But not a type of prayer like the Pharisee prayed, looking down on somebody else and saying, Lord, I wish that person can just become a better person and start treating me much better. But actually in saying, Lord, I'm a sinner just like the other person. And Lord, please help us both to grow to be like you. That I'm so more dependent on God. I'm dependent on His grace. I'm dependent on everything that He can give me. And He's the one that sustains me through this life as I struggle, as I build, as I try. And the best effort that I bring, God tops it up and He makes things okay for me. Because when He comes, He will restore us to full perfection. As I groan, I groan in hope. I groan in faith. I groan in love for God. I groan in love for my fellow person. I groan in love for my animals. I groan in love for my environment. So that one day all of us await the restoration of Jesus Christ. May God bless us. Amen.